support leaders on the road. Welcome to season two, episode one, standardization versus personalization. We're excited to be back with you. We've got an exciting new feature that we're going to release later in this month. We think you're going to love it. Um, and Mike, our co-host is here um, today and we, we are just excited to be back with you. Hey, Mike. Hello, LaToya. I am so excited for season two to finally be underway. And as LaToya just said, I think our listeners are go- are in for a treat with some of our new features and conversations. And I'm just glad to be back talking education. Yes, I'm excited too. Mike and I have been, um, as, as many of you may know, or, or maybe you might assume, we talk every day, either via text or phone call. And we always, you know, we've got lots of crazy ideas. And that's kind of been the, the bane of our friendship. And we're excited about the ideas we've uh, thought about for this season two of this podcast. But today we want to talk about that tension between standardization and personalization. I, I've been noticing that there's a trend across the country that we need to be more innovative, that our traditional K-12 system of kids sitting in rows and and doing worksheets and memorizing notes isn't quite the way um, working the way we want it to. For our our kids to have the skills they need to be successful in college and in careers, we need to get um, a little more personal. We need to personalize their learning. We need to have a set of clear competencies that we want kids to have and want them to be competent Um, before they leave us so that they're ready to go on to the next level. But at the same time, we've got this measure of standardization where we boil the school year literally down to a couple of days where we say, okay, now take this standardized multiple choice test and tell us if you're ready for the next grade. So what do you think about that, Mike? How do we work through that tension? Well, my opinion, my thoughts on, on this matter have really changed and developed as I've gone on in my career. You know, we, you remember, LaToya, when we were we would meet with our teachers to go over their test scores for the year, and we used to both get like a pit in our stomach because basically we were boiling down 180 days of blood, blood sweat, and tears on their part to a test score, and we just really struggled with that because we thought how unfair and how, not even unfair, but just how that didn't represent the work that went into everything. And so, you know, I've just really, you know, I've, I've changed my thoughts on this. They, you know, we have our core competencies that we need our students to know. I think everyone would agree on that. But I just think we, we measure the wrong things. And I think part of that is because it's easy to measure a test score, to measure the results of a multiple choice assessment that's given to everybody. But really, you know, the things that we want our students to be, to be engaged with their learning, to be thoughtful citizens, to have compassion for others, uh, to excel in the arts, to learn how to problem solve, to be able to argue, to write effectively, those are really, really difficult to measure. So almost, you know, I think we measure the wrong things out of the ease of being able to measure the wrong things. I don't know if that makes sense, but it just, it feels like we're looking at all the wrong things. Oh, yeah. It's convenient. It's an easy way to say yes or no. Did the kids get it? Did they not get it? Yeah, I totally get that. And you know, Mike, it brings me to a thought, something that I've heard you say so many times throughout your career, my career, our friendship. Uh, You always say, you know, one of the reasons why we measure those things that are easy, but maybe not don't really paint the whole picture of the K-12 schooling experience or a whole year of school for a child is because we can't seem to all agree on what education is and should be. 
for students. And because there are so many various thoughts and ideas out there about what it is education should be and what it should do for every student, it makes it it makes us uh, lend ourselves to to measuring something that that is very absolute in nature. And, and the work of education is not absolute at all. I, I feel extreme tension with that. Certainly, you know, I want all of our kids to excel at reading and math, but I really want our kids to excel at learning how to solve problems. And I look at our our career technology education departments. And the amazing things our high schoolers are doing, uh, learning how to be chefs, learning how to be electricians, learning how to be engineers, all these great, wonderful things going on in the arts, our, our students developing their creativity, their um, works of art. But none of that shows up on a school report card. And I've just, I have an issue with that. I don't think that's right at all because we are really limiting ourselves and just looking at a very small set of what a school is. Yeah, and you know, it makes me think back to research, Mike. So, you know, what do we know about research when we're talking about, you know, making a a, 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 a summary or drawing a conclusion about something? We know that we shouldn't just look at one piece of data. We know that we need to look at a variety of data points, multiple sources of data, um, triangulating data to make sure we're getting an overall picture. And it's so interesting to me because what we've done with schools is the exact opposite of what research says we should do. We've boiled it down to one specific piece of data, and even more so, it's uh, one experience. You know, I, I certainly could not encapsulate my K-12 schooling experience and boil down to my what was then called the basic skills aptitude uh uh, test, the BSAP test. You know, I couldn't boil my K-12 experience to the BSAP test I took in fourth and eighth, and, and I believe eighth grade or, or 10th grade. I can't remember. That tells you how insignificant it was. But, exactly. But we've done that. And, you know, school and education is so much more than a test. Now, sometimes when we talk about these things, people tend to think there's an avoidance of accountability that, educators specifically uh, talk, you know, yes, we need to personalize and we need to personalize so that every every student reaches his or her maximum potential and and, and that educators push innovation and personalization and doing school a little differently because we don't want to be held accountable. We don't want school ratings. We we don't want to be transparent with the public. I, I tend to reject that theory. I don't think that's true at all. What are your thoughts think, on that? Well, think about it this way. When you look at the quality and effectiveness of a dentist, do you look at how many of their patients have cavities? Because depending on the area they serve and the socioeconomic status that they serve and the, the access to health care of the community they serve, their outcomes might look a lot different. So is it fair to judge the quality of a dentist solely by the amount of cavities their patients have? Because how schools have to do it is if we get a student and we test them that first year, we're accountable for everything, for their prior history of education. So they might be in eighth grade, but their scores are what we are being measured by when maybe they've been in our school for a month. And maybe they come with all these deficiencies. So what if a dentist gets a new patient and they come the very first time they see them and they have eight cavities? Should that dentist be dinged, so to speak, because of the prior um, condition of their teeth, that doesn't really make sense when you when you think of it that way. And, you know, we welcome accountability as educators. I know people don't always think that. We welcome it, but we just want it to be fair and, and, and represent the work we've done with that student. 
student over a, a certain period of time. And when you think about how we are uh, judged, so to speak, on test scores and compare that to other industries, it, it just really makes no sense. But that's the reality we're facing. You know, Mike, I was um, I wrote about this in, in one of my blog posts, but there was an article in Politico magazine on August the 17th of 2017 this past August and it was about um, some researchers at John Hopkins University in Baltimore who thought uh, their, their, their straightforward question was could the persistent gap in reading performance between poor students and wealthier ones be closed if they gave the poor students eyeglasses now that sounds so simplified um, and, and, and probably most people would be like well glasses don't make you smarter well certainly they could if if in fact you can't see and that's impeding your ability to read and the interesting thing about that is that by mid-august of 2017 i'm trying to remember when they started the program they'd done over 18,000 screenings and distributed i think somewhere around 2,000 glasses and they have seen increases in test scores um they've seen increases in test scores so I mean, the, the reality of it is, is that when we look at students lacking achievement, sometimes we have a tendency to attribute all of that lack of achievement to one, one, one area, and that is the ineffectiveness of a teacher, when we know that there are multiple factors for that. And so we have to be careful that we don't take a complex problem that has a variety of factors and boil it down to one solution. I mean, that's an oversimplification of, of something that's very, very complex. So, I, I, But I, I, think you're, I think you're right on spot with that, Latoya, because we do that. We we boil it down to one tiny thing that, yes, you know, it, it's part of the entire picture, but it's certainly not the entire picture. And that makes it really difficult for teachers who really feel the brunt of that, I think. You know, I've been in many schools, and, you know, some teachers obviously perform better than other teachers, but if you take a school that maybe has a D or an F on their report card and a school that has an A or a B, and you flip-flop, you flip-flop those faculties, they're not just going to, you know, change places so that the, the faculty from the D school, they're now in the A school. That A school is not going to drop down to a D school because of those, those teachers. There's so much more to it, but we want to say, okay, X equals Z and this is Y, but that's, that's not the case. Yeah. So, Mike, if you're a leader in today's um, arena, how do you balance that for your teachers? How do you push the balance of, yes, we've got to make sure that we're held accountable and that our students are learning, we're monitoring that, evaluating that, but let's also personalize that learning for them and and give our students exactly what it is that they need? You know, I don't think there's a a 100% straight answer to that question, but I know, and this is what we did when we worked together as principals, you try to build those relationships with your teachers, just like you expect them to build with their with their students, and work collaboratively with them to develop goals for your school, for their classes. Um, looking at growth, you know, all students should grow when they're when they're in your classroom. But working together and coming up with goals that make sense in your building, if you're a principal, you can work with your teachers to talk about and develop goals that you want to achieve that are under your um, your influence. Yeah, yeah, I think that's important. And I think it's important to keep it all in perspective. We know as educators that the work we do surely and certainly cannot be boiled down to a series of absolutes. And it's up to us to to 
to, to carry that narrative and share that with folks so that they have a comprehensive picture of what it means to educate kids in 2017 in this complex world. Well, Mike, it's been fun. Um, folks, we are excited about season two. Uh, we're looking forward to releasing some additional features. We're going to uh, continue on with Leadership with LaToya Live. We'll be adding things to our website, leadershipwithlatoya.org. And we have another release that's not yet um, uh, announced, but you'll you'll be happy to know um, that we're working on something very special and we're looking forward to sharing it with you. Uh, we hope that... Hopefully coming very soon. Yes, hopefully very soon. So um, we hope that once that release is announced that you will certainly take advantage of it. And we can't... Um, thank you enough for listening to our podcast. We want to ask that you go to our website, leadershipwithlatoya.org, use the contact us button to let us know what this podcast has meant for you, how it helps you or how it can help you. Give us topics or suggestions that you'd like to learn more about. Um, we're interested in building the best resource for leaders across this country. Until next time, be you, be true, be a hope builder. This is Leadership with LaToya for Leaders on the Grow.